Welcome to episode 155 of Design Details. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Rin Jackson. This episode, we hung out with Atiutam Reddy. He is an intern on the Figma design team. Our first intern episode. He's previously been an intern at Facebook with Brian. And before that at Kayak. Yes. He's a design and engineering intern. That's a really interesting role. And he has an amazing background. He's from India. I'm excited to listen to him talk about it. And without further ado, here's episode 155 with Atiutam Reddy. Hi, I'm Ati. I'm a rising senior at Brown University. I study computer science and design, um, and I'm an intern at Figma this summer. So cool. Did you know you're uh, the first intern we've ever had on? I think so, yeah. Did you know that you're the first intern that Brian and I have both worked with? Wait, really? <laughs> <laughs> well. Well, that makes sense, yeah. 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 It's uh, a very specific thing. So yeah, for context, true. you were also an intern. At, at Facebook last summer, um, my first design internship, and yeah. uh, Brian and I worked on payments together. Brian still works on payments, and I think he kind of took off on some of the work me and my manager did. Yeah. So right right before I joined Figma, we went to a lunch at MoMA, and mm-hmm. Addy comes up to me and he goes, wait, you co-hosted the show with Brian, right? <laughs> I used to work with him, and we <laughs> sent Brian a selfie, and that was- <laughs> yes, yes, I remember that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And now it's been a year later mm-hmm. here at Figma, mm-hmm. and we get to finally catch up on the show. Yeah. Uh, what are you working on at Figma? Um, so I'm doing a hybrid of design and engineering. Um, Figma has two parts. One is the tool itself, and one is uh, the file browser. And I've been working mostly on the file browser. So there's what I'm building is a project activity feed where multiple designers, if they're working on a project together, they want to know what's happening. Um, so I spent a few weeks designing it, and I'm at the tail end of building it. How's that going? It's going great. Uh, great team. My manager has been fantastic. Jessica's I've, awesome. Jessica helps a lot with the front end stuff. Ryan also mentors yep. um, uh, me. And both of them I know from Brown. And they've been fr- friends with me for a few years now. So. so that's Ryan Kaplan and Jessica Liu. Yeah. So is it common to have a design and engineering internship in one? Um, I'd say it's very uncommon. Yeah. Um, for most companies, hiring interns is a go is a way to convert them to full time, and for most companies, having a full time designer and a full time engineer separately is much more efficient than having one person who does both, because even though it does help kind of knowing both fields, um, it also means that you can only like work on half the volume of work, um, and it shows because I took like eight weeks to work on this project when if a designer had worked on it previously, I would have taken four weeks to build it and it would have been done, but I was looking a lot for companies last fall that do um, hybrid roles, and I'm still looking um, just to kind of figure out what the space is like. And I found very, very few. So what do you think are the upsides of that role? I think just A, you get like get to dig into the details, mm-hmm. right? Like I think a lot of the things that I worry about when I'm designing is like accessibility, uh, internationalization, um, how hard is it going to be built to be uh, to build this? what kind of API requests need to be done, what kind of database queries need to be done. But even more than that, I think most of the design phase happens when you're building it because you're getting active feedback. You're directly manipulating the final output. And I'm a huge like fan of direct manipulation. Um, I came across the concept when I like uh, heard a bunch of Brett Victor's talks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when you're both designing and building, that's probably the, the magical moment where a lot of direct manipulation is happening. So 
the design itself progresses a lot. I completely agree. Like so much of the design happens at that final stage. I agree too. So I'm sitting here wondering why more companies don't offer that hybrid internship. Mm -hmm. Probably because A, there's way more engineers out there, so it's easy to hire them. Uh, really? I found very few companies know how to hire designers. Very few young designers are doing product design because it's not taught in school. The field itself is new. Uh, product designers, I know it today, really came to be after the iPhone came out. Mm -hmm. So it's probably because of that. It's like, it's not enough young product designers, not enough roles for them, um, let alone people doing both. How did you even start searching for a company that would do hybrid? Yeah, so being at Brown, I think, helps a lot. Uh, I get, I know of people at most companies, so I just email them or message them and say, hey, do you know if a role like this exists? If not, do you think you could make it happen? <laughs> most of them say it's not possible. Or Why? they're not hiring young designers. or Because also most companies are like trying to build up uh, senior design teams first before they can do junior design hiring. Um, that's all, actually also something I've realized more recently talking to some friends of mine who are like new grad designers is that finding internships for them was much easier than finding full-time jobs because companies do hire interns because it's easy to convert them, but they're not hiring full-time new grads without having worked with them before. Yeah. Well, even like in senior roles, often there's like a, a period of working together beforehand, but it's, mm -hmm. it's usually much shorter. Like uh, I contracted for Shop Savvy for I think two months before I joined full-time. But why isn't that offered to new grads as well? Um, I think it feels like a risk and they don't know how to calculate it necessarily. Couldn't you argue it's a bigger risk to do that for a senior designer? It it costs more, but if you've already seen a portfolio of actual work that has gone live in the world versus student work, that I think is a very different thing. Mm -hmm. And you could also probably get like references. And yeah. I think senior designers tend to have a reputation around, right? So because young people don't. What do you tell your friends that are new grad designers? Um, about... If they're struggling to get a job, do you have advice? I mean, I know you're, <laughs> you yourself have an internship, but um, like, what would you say to, from your perspective, right. how mm -hmm. should, I'm curious how you would approach it from the student side, the new right. grad side, mm -hmm. but also like from the company perspective, what have you noticed yeah. as you've been searching that we could be doing better? Mm -hmm. um, I think from the student side, um, it's, there's a lot of uh, general advice and wisdom around how to find an engineering internship. You can ask your seniors, you can ask professors um, and other alumni from your school, but there's not as much advice around for design. One of the things is just knowing which companies have design roles. A lot of the big companies do, Facebook, Microsoft, Google. Some of the smallest companies like Airbnb and Pinterest and Uber are starting to open up. Um, there's a few programs that different venture capital firms run, like KPCB runs the KPCB Design Fellows Program. Um, so just knowing about these opportunities is really important. Second thing is just the interview process. You're referring to product design specifically, Product right? design specifically, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's two kinds of uh, students applying to these internships. One are like traditional graphic designers or industrial designers from who go to design school. And their portfolios are mostly like print work or poster work or maybe like furniture they made. And that, doesn't, that isn't really what recruiters are looking for. And computer science people or people who are self-taught designers, they tend to have interaction design and websites they've built, um, but they don't focus as much on the visual design. So usually just knowing how the interview process works, which is portfolio review, design challenge, design challenge, behavioral interview, and then you get the offer. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like I'm a recruiter right now, just giving recruiting advice. I think that's important. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think companies should be 
doing better because I tend to agree that mm -hmm. without personally having a solution that there is a problem in how companies look at hiring junior designers. Mm -hmm. I think we could go into some of the reasons for that, but I, I yeah. want to know what your perspective is on what companies could be doing better. Right. I think it's really important to figure out kind of the growth, um, how you're going to grow a new grad into a senior designer. Um, and I think a lot of engineering teams have kind of figured it out. But also there's like a lot of year, many years of experience around doing that, which doesn't exist for design yet. I think even making the effort to hire like one or two new grads, maybe one or two interns every year will teach you that. And then over the course of one or two years, you can build out a larger team. Um, the, the company that I think knows design recruiting best is Facebook, both from my own experience, but also from noticing that a lot of students who intern at Facebook and then go on to other design companies or a lot of the design interns that I've met have like Facebook as shared history. Is there any team larger than Facebook's design team? Like Google probably, probably. Yeah. it's ridiculous. One of the reasons they're really good at it is they know what schools to go to. Um, Carnegie Mellon, Yorkshire and School of Design in Canada, uh, the RISD, Rhode Island School of Design, all of these schools have really talented students and they go out there and they also do workshops and they try to teach product design on campus, which I think is a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think like programs like KPCB Design Fellows, basically these programs, they know how to you know find the students. Yeah, that, so, that's from the recruiting perspective. So you go to Brown mm -hmm. for computer science. What led you to pursue the design side of things? So I came into Brown thinking that I would double major in computer science and visual arts. Oh, okay, um, so it was from the get-go. Sort of. Uh, I didn't have any visual arts experience, but... <laughs> Do any of us really? <laughs> <laughs> um, but the reason I said that was because I didn't know what design was and I didn't know uh, what product design was at that point. Um, so Did you have an idea? Actually, yeah, but I didn't, I didn't have the name for it. It's funny because in high school, when I discovered Dribbble and I was doing a bunch of Photoshop work, I distinctly remember the first designer that I came across, the first American like product designer that I came across was Jared Arondu. Uh -huh. I still haven't met him, but um, the reason- Your mentor is Josh Sortino and you haven't met Jared? No. Nope. Man. But the reason that was cool because was when I came across his website at that point, um, he was maybe 17 or 18, so he was like a couple of years older than me. And I didn't know that young people like that could be designers. Um, so that was really cool. Yeah. That is so cool. So you became interested in design through that? Um, sort of, yeah. It kind of, I think a lot, looking back, a lot of the dots connect and a lot of the things that happened over the course of my life kind of lead up to this moment. But that was definitely my introduction to product design and my introduction to like American design. What do you mean when you say American design? I think there's a very interesting brand of design that happens in Silicon Valley, in New York, in technology that... I didn't know existed before I came to America. And I've only been in, been here three years, right? So like I grew up in India. I never knew I was going to come to America. I decided to apply to schools in America like a year before I came here. And, th and the people I'd met were people like students who were going to design academies and maybe going to art academies in India. And their work is very, very different from the work that I've seen here. Is that just aesthetic or? It's aesthetic, but it's also the products they work on. No one makes iOS apps in India because it doesn't make sense. Android? Um, it's mostly Android today, <laughs> yeah. but when I was there, Android didn't exist or like Android was just getting off. So even mobile design wasn't there when I was, you know. It wasn't a priority. It wasn't a priority. Yeah. But it was very artistic work in the sense that it's very visual, very colorful, but. Was it skeuomorphic? Yeah, definitely. Okay. I would say so, yeah. 
as compared to American design. At that point, so well, Jared's website, for example, had a round profile picture with mostly white, you know, background. Well, that was just very Iranduist <laughs> um, white space. Irondist, <laughs> yes. But that was something I never seen before, and that was just very interesting. And dribble was also very interesting. And I was the only person, like for miles, that I knew who even knew about the existence of this website. So it was. It's funny to me because all the design that I do today is what I would call American design also. But, and maybe design is more global today because, you know, iOS, iOS design standards, Android design standards, and in general, the internet has become much more global. When you first discovered what you call now American design, mm-hmm. what did you think of it? I thought it was really cool. Um, was the, it cool because it was different or cool because it was good? Cool because it was almost all the design that I knew. So I came across a few applications, a few designers in India. And the work they did was often very focused on very niche projects that were focused towards the Indian audience. But the first time I found out that, oh, designers exist and designers make apps and websites was through Dribble. Yeah. And so all the work that I saw on Dribble was amazing because it was by great designers and that became sort of like my taste in design. I see. We should start at the beginning because I have some follow-up questions, but okay. it'll make more sense if we just start at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're from India. Yeah. What part? Um, the south of India, uh, Hyderabad. Okay. It's the state of Telangana. Okay. Yeah. Is that big city, rural? It's the fifth largest city in India. So, so you could say it's pretty big. It's pretty big, but it's big, especially in terms of American cities. It's, <laughs> it has 12 million people. Yeah, that's pretty big. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's pretty big. Yeah. So what did your parents do? Um, so my dad worked for 30 odd years in the Indian government in customs and central excise. So he taxes companies and corporations that import goods into the country. Mm-hmm. And my mom's been at home raising three children. How did you get into computer science? So let's zoom back. This is going to be long. I hope Good. that's okay. okay. Yes. So for context, I was born in 1995. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm 20 years old, right? In 1995, Windows 95 came out. Um, it says it on the tin. <laughs> and <laughs> did you guys ever see the friends video of that like jennifer aniston and uh whoever it was that played ross uh <laughs> no introducing the computer what, windows 95? yeah there's a windows 95 video from of the friends cast like, amazing wow. no i haven't seen that um, anyway david schwimmer that's his name <laughs> so you were born in windows 95 the year, Windows. So we, we're kind of siblings in that sense. <laughs> um, but my earliest memories of computers are from like early 2000s. Um, I think it was 2000 or 2001. The computer we had was a giant CRT monitor with floppy disks, no DVD drives, uh, Windows 95, Pentium 3 desktop. And it was super cool because my dad was a hobbyist programmer. Uh, he was doing this full-time job for the Indian government, but he would teach himself programming on the side by going to classes, evening classes and so on. And he had this Sam's Teach Yourself Visual Basic in 24 Hours book. And he loved the series of like 24 hours. It was just like fascinating to him. And so he was teaching himself Visual Basic. And he had the, the idea to teach his two kids at that point also how to make apps with Visual Basic. So we made a calculator and it was the coolest thing. It worked and it was just like so cool. Um, so that was my first introduction to programming. I don't remember any of it. I didn't really learn it, but it was just the act of making something in software that I could run on my own computer. It just blew my mind. Um, 
Our parents gave us a lot of free access to the computer early on. I remember a birthday party where I took my friends to Disney.com to play games and it was just, I was the coolest kid and it was fun. Nothing's changed. <laughs> um, fast forward to maybe late 2000s, 2007 or 8. So I'm in middle school. My dad uh, is building more software on the side and he hires a designer uh, from a local art institute and the student is just like studying art and painting and so on, but he's also kind of picking up Photoshop and 3ds Max. So he comes in part-time at home and he's like working on software. And so I would shadow him and he would teach me 3ds Max and Photoshop. Um, I remember learning the pen tool from him. And I did a bunch of 3D modeling after that from like online tutorials, um, making helicopters and ducks and so on. And that was fun. <laughs> helicopters, <laughs> ducks, <laughs> duck you helicopters. Know, that category of things. <laughs> um but during this time, I was also at boarding school, so I would only like have computer access for a month or two at a time once a year. Holy shit! And That's then, not a lot of time. And and no. your boarding school was particularly like anti technology. Wasn't right? anti technology, but it was more disconnected. Is is certainly disconnected. Sorry. Yeah, and I think that's a very interesting topic, and we can talk more about that. Um, okay, so do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, boarding school. Um, I went to this school called the Rishi Valley School. It's in the south of India, um, a 12-hour train ride from where I live. And it was founded almost 80 years ago today, or from now, um, by a philosopher called Jiddu Krishnamurti. And J. Krishnamurti has a very interesting history. When he was born, he was kind of hailed as the Messiah of the East and that he would bring peace and knowledge upon the world. But when he was like, 20 or so, he said, I don't believe any of this. I'm just going to go and become a philosopher instead. Um, or in, as in he was taken in by this institute, uh, trying to train him to become the Messiah of the East. And it seems very like, mystical, right? But anyway, he went on to become a philosopher, a very famous one, a very acclaimed one at that. And he started a bunch of schools across the world, uh, a few of them in India and one in California, actually, the Ojai School in Ojai, California. And the schools have a very interesting philosophy, um, to, kind of pioneered by him around questioning everything, um, around living a frugal life, around kind of being the light unto thyself. Some of the interesting things about the school, it was in the middle of rural India. The nearest town was 15 miles away. We were surrounded by hills. Uh, it was 360 acres for just 300 students. So it was a giant school for a very few students. And it was, I think, the best described as an alternate education school. We had classes under trees. We grew our own food. We had organic farms. We had our own dairy farm. We would grow our own milk or like, you know, have our own cows and so on. Uh, we would focus a lot on sustainability and, and and composting and things like that. We would truly, I think, question everything. We had a lot of fights with our teachers on like the smallest of things. Our teachers lived with us in our dormitories. <laughs> but yeah, so the school really taught me how to think. Uh, we had a very frugal life also. And that's where the disconnected part comes in. Until I was in high school, we would write a weekly letter to our parents, physical mail, uh, even though we all you know, had computers at home. And only in high school, we had one hour of computer access a week. But yeah, so that was boarding school. And Did you like it there? I loved it. And it taught me so much about the world and it kind of opened up my mind to accepting new things. Otherwise, I think I would have like grown up as a very traditional kind of city-based Indian student um, with a very focused mindset. But this was the place where I like learned about economics and learned about, you know, political science and like the world around me. Uh, there were students from across the world in the school. There were students from across India, and I I really kind of became confident in myself and my way of thinking also at the school. Quick quick tangent from mm -hmm. that: How has that 
impacted the way that you work today? Does it change your workflow to have that background? Absolutely. I think I'm much more sensitive to sustainability. I'm much more sensitive to working with others. And I think we all have like experiences in our life that teach us these skills. But for me, it was the boarding school. It was Rishi Valley. Yeah. Um, I was also very attached to the school so much that me and a few couple of friends ran a blog about the school for a few years afterwards. And it was called the RV Storybook. So Rishi Valley, it goes by RV. Um, and it's funny, but this Saturday I'm meeting for lunch two of my teachers from middle school oh, wow. because they recently moved to California and we were just so close to them um, that, you know, all of all of my best childhood memories come from the school. Even better than that Disney birthday party? Yes. <laughs> um, so with your one hour of computer access a week, mm -hmm. what were you working on? So that was just email. Only email? Yeah. Then I that sounds like a chore. <laughs> an hour of email. <laughs> Back then it must have been great, but now it's like, oh God, an hour of email. Um, so most of the stuff that I did was during you know school break at home where I had unlimited computer access and I did all the stuff that I did. Um, and then I left high school in, in 10th grade and I came back to my city, Hyderabad, to go to a different school. And now I had a lot more access. This is when I did like a bunch of Photoshop tutorials online, uh, followed a lot more work online from like other designers. Um, I discovered a bunch of illustrators. I think Ryan Putnam's work was back then. And it was just the greatest thing. And it was just like, wow. And I think it's all the more surreal because I'm 8,000 miles away from San Francisco, right? I didn't know San Francisco was a city. Um, I remember watching the Apple keynote and I knew Yababuena. I knew the Moscone Center, but I didn't know they were in the city of San Francisco. Uh, until and, my freshman, and across the street from each other. <laughs> and across the street from each other and across the street from Figma today. Um, my yeah, first, we walked through Yerba Buena on the way here. Yep. <laughs> and my first day in San Francisco last summer, that's the first thing I did. I brought out my camera. I went to the Yerba Buena Center and I just took photos. And I was like, this is the place that I grew up watching and knowing that Steve Jobs gave keynotes <laughs> inside this center. Um but yeah, so that was like 2011, 12. And then through a magical series of events, I ended up at Brown um, and Brown in America. Wait, wait, wait. You're yes. going to gloss over a magical <laughs> series of events? Um, I guess it's, it's not that magical, but I was very lucky to have a friend, a senior of mine at my boarding school who applied to Stanford and got in. And that was the first time I realized that students from India could go and study abroad. At the same time, though, it was it was and still is completely out of my family's means to like afford an American education. Um, so me and my friend. Well, you're also at Ivy League school, so. True, that's but I'm very lucky to be at Brown, and they're supporting me financially. Um, so when I applied, I applied to eight schools, all of whom would offer aid to international students, knowing fully well that I like probably wouldn't get into any of them. I remember MIT being my dream school and then looking at the forums and College Confidential and all these students were posting their like resumes and it was like, oh, I did research at you know UC Berkeley. I like discovered this bacteria or whatever. And I was like, this is nothing compared to like, I'm never going to get in. And so I applied to eight schools and I got into exactly one and that was Brown. Um, and so I flew over and that was my first time outside of India. First time my whole family had been outside of India ever abroad and it was just the most magical experience to come here and life has changed since then. Yeah. yeah. So you chose computer science. Mm -hmm. um, mostly because of my exposure to computers all throughout my life and my dad's 
passion for it and I was just excited about it. At that point, I'd taken a computer science class in school and uh, yeah, I was building stuff already. At that point, did you have any idea what you wanted to do? Mm. Like what was the the game plan? The game plan was just go to Brown <laughs> and study. School. Get through school. Yeah. And how's that evolved now? Um, I hope you have a little more. <laughs> I think I'm still confused about life. Um, well, his goal is graduate school, come back and work at Figma. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a good plan. It's a good idea. Uh, <laughs> that is a solid plan. Where you will happen. Um, but wait, wait, wait. Yes. Confused about life. What do you mean? Um, I think looking back, so my first internship after freshman summer, I was a design engineering intern at Kayak, the travel company. And that was, I, I was so excited about it because it was the first time I was being employed. It's the first time I was working on something and making something and it was just the greatest experience. And the next summer I went to Facebook and it was the greatest experience because I was like, oh my God, I'm working at Facebook. I'm a designer now and this is the greatest thing. And then this summer, it was like design tools is something I'm really passionate about. This is a team I love and I'm going to work at the startup and it's going to be a different experience. But now it's kind of like I've been in technology for a few years and I've been exposed to a lot of companies and that initial excitement has kind of faded away. And I don't know if I want to do design, if I want to do engineering, if I want to go to grad school and study distributed systems and computer networks. So who knows? Why has the excitement faded? Is it just because it's not new anymore or has something happened that made you less interested? I think it's a bit of the newness has faded away, but also that I've become more selective and more experienced and like what works for me and what doesn't. Or when you're young and when you're new, you tend to like gloss over the things that probably aren't going to work for you. But when you when you're slightly more experienced, maybe jaded is the wrong word, but you know, discerning, probably. <laughs> <laughs> That's very quick to pick up the whole Silicon Valley jaded thing. <laughs> You've been here for two summers. Two summers. <laughs> and already jaded. Would you mind sharing? We've like, ruined him. <laughs> yeah, what? I actually think that level of introspection is not super common. I'm curious what you've identified in yourself that mm -hmm. perhaps isn't a fit for what, I don't know, what's happening out here in Silicon Valley. I think Silicon Valley is an amazing place. Uh, the one that's still, the one fact that still amazes me is the optimism here, um, and just the fact that everyone I've looked up to in my life lives here, and I meet them every once in a while is just the greatest thing. But just I think reflecting back on my own like time growing up in India, um, I used feature phones. I used Facebook Zero um, on my phone because it's a free, free version of Facebook, right? Because Data charges are very expensive. I grew up on Windows. I used pirated versions of Photoshop. We did that here too. <laughs> yeah, uh, okay. <laughs> True. We've got some similarities here. Uh -huh. um, and I remember distinctly kind of like the business plans that like my middle school mind would hatch were about building a bank in India because a large portion of the country is unbanked and the banking experiences in India were terrible um, and they still are. And I think coming here, I think it's a completely different flavor of problems. Some of them are really impactful, some of them not so much. But I speak mostly as being part of the problem. It's kind of just like, I'm definitely in a place where everyone's similar to me and we're all kind of working on the same thing. And I worry that, or that we're not exposed enough to problems across the world to the extent that it would be nice that we could be working on those problems, if that makes sense. A friend of mine is working on agriculture in Ghana, and he's using technology. He's a computer science grad from Brown. Um, 
and that's the kind of work that really really inspires me um, why, why does that inspire you is it because it feels more meaningful than what we do here and that is actually way too broad what we do here is all sorts of good things right right yeah i think there's and all sorts of bad things yeah maybe perhaps it's selfish because i think working on areas that haven't been affected by technology or where there's like high impact or like for a small amount of work you can do a lot low hanging change, fruit <laughs> low hanging fruit perhaps <laughs> right and, and maybe, uh, in an agriculture it's literally low hanging fruit <laughs> right <laughs> um so maybe that's something but maybe it's also something to do just with like solving problems that people like me in india face could you argue that at places like facebook might be a straw man here but there are mm-hmm. there are opportunities to to impact those kinds of communities absolutely right? yeah mm-hmm. is that yeah. interesting to you somewhat yes and i think that's where it's the fine line where i really respect a lot of the work that a lot of the companies do here and which is you know part of the reasons that i am inspired by it i work in it so it it's just kind of a back and forth it's like i i do respect i think you know the work that facebook does and while i was there too one of my friends was working on internet.org and seeing her presentations really got me excited about the work the team was doing so yeah i don't doubt that there are a lot of opportunities here and there are a lot of companies here that are affecting communities around the world but i also believe that there's a large portion of problems that we haven't looked at and i think we should based on your experience and looking at students younger than yourselves that are thinking of of internships and perhaps mm-hmm. don't live here and are looking at silicon valley as a place for opportunity what would you say to them i think if you can come here then absolutely do and try and work at one of these companies because you'll be surrounded by some of the most talented people in the world and you'll just learn so much from them that being said how do how do they not become jaded if that's how you feel you become i think jaded is a natural thing right it's it's like uh things go in cycles kind of thing you can't always be excited you got to you got to feel things out what are you talking about i'm always excited but you're a nice boy team i've never stopped being excited about everything yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i have to say i think there's days in san francisco where i'm just like this is so beautiful and all of these people are so amazing and i'm so lucky to be here um and there are other days when i'm like this is very interesting how this cultural phenomenon over the last 5 or 6 years has taken shape and i'm very curious to see how this can change or improve over the years well you've been here if you had mentors absolutely yeah um i didn't know about it at that point that you know the words they were saying or the advice they were giving me was very important but i think in retrospect i look up to them a lot and i would still consult them if i have any wait what do you mean i think when i was there uh, or like when i was working with them it was more like oh this is a working relationship cool you know we're talking to them and i'm like working with them but in retrospect I it think w- I learned so much from them. It wasn't like I asked you, "Hey, will you be my mentor?" Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was just like, yeah, I I think that's how most good mentorships work. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that stands out in your mind as like particularly helpful that that a mentor has helped you with? Yeah. Um my manager at Facebook last summer, John Bradford, and yeah. Brian you worked with him. Uh-huh. Um I think he just had so much experience around around design, around working with a team. um i still remember my first design crit my first official design crit uh, and he hands out this piece of paper to everyone who's new in the room and it's like rules of the design crit and it's you know laptops down frame your problem ask for the specific kind of feedback you want and at the end of the crit you repeat the feedback you got um and little bits of advice like that really helped me but also the way that he would push when necessary and hold back when not uh he helped me struggle rather than give me the solutions and that was just 
a great thing. Also, there were times when my project clashed with other projects at the company and he stood up for me and kind of, you know, was my guardian. And I think all of those things I've learned from him were very helpful. Has he been your main mentor? Um, he's been one of them. My mentors at Figma right now have been amazing. I've learned so much from them. Some of my mentors really are from school. Molly and Mackenzie, who founded Hackett Brown, which is an organization I'm part of. Uh -huh. um, they've graduated a couple of years now. Um, but they really believed in me as a freshman and they helped me grow. You run Hackett Brown now, right? I did until this year. So okay. I, I've been involved for three years and I ran it for two years. Okay. What's um, Hackett Brown? Hackett Brown is a student organization on Brown's campus. And uh, it's an amazing group of people that are really focused on computer science and design education. You sound um, biased. <laughs> They're amazing. And I ran it for <laughs> two the years. Best humans. <laughs> I ran it. I was the best one of the best ones. Um, and while I let it, I let it. <laughs> you didn't deny it. You didn't lose on. It's like, yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> um, so I led the team with my co-director, Sharon. And the two of us are amazing friends. And she's taught me so much. We do basically four things. Um, we run an annual hackathon on Brown's campus. Uh, we organize a startup event called Startup at Brown. Um, we organize workshops throughout the year, mostly focused at beginners trying to you know, learn how to make things. Um, and until recently, we've also been building APIs for campus data. So like, what's the food at the dining hall today? And we built an API for that. But mostly our focus is, you know, we really think that hackathons can be events for learning, events for finding confidence in yourself, uh, not events that, you know, you stay up all night, eat unhealthy food, you know, and you're surrounded by people who've been coding since they're five. Um, that's not what hackathons mean to us. So we really are proud that, you know, 70% of the event, 70% of the attendees have never been to a hackathon before. They make Hacker Brown their first hackathon. We have a 50-50 gender ratio. We have a seven is to one men student to mentor ratio. So you bring a lot of alumni back to help students learn and make things. And so that's Hackett Brown, and that's something very close to my heart and something I've been involved with for the last few years. So you've been very involved in mentorship. That's been a significant yeah. focus for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you see it as someone who has to either give mentorship or bring in mentors for people mm -hmm. versus seeking out your own? I think I've been very lucky to find mentors kind of in happenstance along the way as I've been you know, working at companies or working on different things at school. Mentor um, magnet. Got it. <laughs> No, I've just been lucky. <laughs> um, so I've never had to kind of say, hey, can you help me give me advice? In terms of being a good mentor, um, I think really listening is the biggest thing. I've been in like, you know, student mentorship roles. And the mistake I make most often is people come and say, you know, oh, I'm struggling with this course. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to apply for an internship. And I just start throwing solutions at them. It's like, you can do this, you can do that. But mostly, I think good mentorship is about listening and about asking open questions and kind of digging in and helping the person think through the problem for themselves um, rather than throwing solutions at them. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. That sounds very technical. How does it fit in when they're asking for an opinion or something like that? I think just stories help a lot rather than kind of general purpose wisdom words, you know. Instead of preaching at them? <laughs> Platitudes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. Um, but just saying that this is what but happened to me. platitudes from Addy, they're attitudes. <laughs> <gasps> you should write a book later when you're older. At some point, <laughs> yep. When you turn 21, when you can drink and write a book. Attitudes. <laughs> but yeah, just like 
good stories of, you know, hey, this is what happened to me. This was the situation I was in. These are the mistakes I made. This is how someone helped me. And in retrospect, you know, I should have done this. Uh, having done Hack Brown for three years? Three years. Mm -hmm. What have been some of the most common things that you've noticed now that you've had three years to work with students younger than yourself mm -hmm. on, especially people new to hackathons, but what are the problems that you see younger folks, younger designers, younger engineers coming to you with the most? Or even just less experienced. Yeah. Right. Um, I'd have to think about that one for a while. So this is something you brought up on the way up was uh, giving advice when people older than you can hear. And that's an interesting thing to me because I see Brian is one of my main mentors. I get a lot of advice from him. Mm -hmm. However, he's, he's three years younger than me. I've gotten some great advice from Jared Arandu. Mm -hmm. I don't think age has anything to do with it. I think it's a lot right. of experience and not necessarily like amount of experience either, like not quantity, but sometimes quality, right? So I think you've had a great well, a, a moderate quantity of really high quality uh, experience. So Facebook, I of course, being the <laughs> pinnacle. <laughs> Facebook being the lowest of the low. Uh, I, I just think that's really interesting. Like, there's this perspective of, well, what do you do? You literally just said, like, how do you uh, communicate with younger people uh -huh. necessarily? Yeah. But yeah, we always does younger matter. Or is there's it just an less assumption. Experience? There's an is, assumption that it's like is older younger, to younger. Is it younger in age or younger to the industry? Uh. I would say in this case, younger to the industry, like people that are trying to break into design mm -hmm. um, and that could be someone older than you. I think it comes back to the same point around like finding confidence um, in making things and building things and like talking to companies and putting your work out there. And to me, I found that confidence in hackathons where I went to a hackathon and I made, you know, the silliest of apps, but just the process of making something and having it in your hand and showing it to someone, it just fills you with so much joy. It's the, like the joy of making you hacked your confidence. <laughs> um, that's one way to put it, but it's really about finding that self-confidence. Um, I think the other thing, the big thing is finding community, having people around you that you can talk to about the stuff that you can work with on this kind of work is really important. Um, and I think a lot of students find that at school, but also a lot of students don't find it because their schools are small or isolated or they don't have designers. And I've definitely had the fortune of having some friends at school, but also some friends online. And a lot of my closest design friends are people I met on Facebook. Um, internet friends. Internet friends. And then I finally meet you them in person Twitter, a year bud. later. <laughs> and it's just, you know, we just take it off right, right from there. And yeah. You mentioned community. Mm -hmm. uh, and earlier you mentioned some pretty impressive statistics about uh, inclusion and diversity for Hack mm -hmm. Brown. Yeah. Talk to me a little more about like what community means for you because you come out to Silicon Valley and companies with infinite budgets struggle with that mm -hmm. diversity and inclusivity. Um, how have you been thinking about that and how did Hack Brown end up in such a good place? Right. Um, I think I have to preface by saying that I'm the least qualified person to talk about this. <laughs> That's good. patently untrue. My good father is. We reject it. <laughs> um, and I just... Yeah, I think the problem is so complicated and there's so many facets to the issue that I'm, I just don't know enough about it. But that being said, I think the reason, so coming into America, coming to Brown for the first time, I, my impression of America was that this is the country where everything is right. Uh, it's democracy, it's freedom. Where everything it's, is right? Yeah. <laughs> How do you feel now? <laughs> I, I've learned a lot more about the country given its presidential year, but 
You've um, been here for a rough three years, I bud. I'm so sorry you've had to watch this <laughs> He's happen. He's literally only been here for this presidential campaign. <laughs> oh, for God's sake. <laughs> but I remember in eighth grade for English class, we had to like give a speech. And the speech I chose was Barack Obama's acceptance speech because it was such an inspiring speech. And I really came into America thinking it was the country where everything was right. And then I went to school and I uh, in, com- in the computer science department, I realized, you know, all the complexities around diversity, around the kind of environment we create uh, explicitly or implicitly. Um, but everything I've learned about it and all the kind of the guiding principles of Hackett Brown came from our founders, from Molly and Mackenzie. Um, and they are two of the most amazing people that I look up to. And they've taught me so much about life in general, but also about the industry. And when they founded Hackett Brown, they really set said it out very clearly that we're not trying to be the next big hackathon. We're trying to be the hackathon where beginners and people who've never been to hackathons before can feel welcome and inclusive. And we're going to create a healthy environment where people can learn. And so that's where I guess the seed was planted. And then going from there, becoming more exposed to the different problems, having a lot of deep and introspective conversations within the team around how do we do admissions? Um, at the point when we decided, when we ended up, when we were starting, a lot of the hackathons would screen by resume and they would say, okay, this person has done two internships, has 50 stars on their GitHub profile. Um, and so it makes sense that we would bring them to the hackathon because we want the most awesome hackers. And I respect that. And I think that's one way to run a hackathon. But for us, that was, you know, an, an explicit anti-goal is we didn't want the best quote unquote hackers. We wanted students who've never had the opportunity before to come here and find confidence. Um, so we instead wrote a random admissions algorithm, which would, uh, which was somewhat weighted and to meet the demographics that we wanted. Um, but that helped us, you know, create a more comfortable environment for everyone. Interesting. So you ran it through an algorithm and it, it worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it helped. I mean, the algorithms class that we took really helped around optimizations and stuff like that. But uh, there's a series of things that we try to do. And the series of things are all ideas that have come from other people on the team other people that I look up to a lot that know a lot more about this than I do. We also happen to be very lucky to have a very active women in computer science group on campus and a new group called Mosaic Plus, which helps URMs in computer science. What is URMs? Underrepresented minorities. And just having these conversations around the department and the department, you know, faculty being very respectful of that and actually being actively involved in these conversations was really helpful in opening up my mind. I don't know if I'm going with, off on yeah, a Yeah, no, with that, with that context, mm-hmm. do you feel like having spent some time here in Silicon Valley that we're doing a good job of creating environments where you feel inclusive and like it's beginner friendly? Um, sometimes yes and sometimes no. There's definitely a lot of good efforts and a lot of smart, intelligent people, people who care a lot about this that are trying to, you know, make a difference and... It just inspires me to to see them do that, um, and I try to play a role in the in the ways that I can. But I don't want to be cynical. I want to be optimistic because I definitely see change happening, even in the three years that I've been here. But what sucks? Kind of sucks that grown-ups still don't recognize that certain ways of talking can be very offensive, and certain ways of representation can be very offensive, like having. A bunch of guys on your website is kind of like not the best idea because, you know, you don't want to project that image. Um, I distinctly remember a conversation on designer news a few months ago. It was, I think it was called Men of Designer News. Oh, for ah, sake. yes. And this <laughs> thing that Brian posted about. 
And I don't mean to pick on it because I think there were a lot of good opinions in that conversation. People who were trying to, you know, speak up and say, this is not the way we want to, you know, create a community around this. But I think incidents like that happen and it goes to show that a lot of people don't have the same like degree of exposure to issues around diversity. And I really wish that could improve. And I wish that more people were sensitive about this, more people who were, more people would agree on the things that are wrong. People are hard. Well, it's, they're pretty easy to understand though. If they get power or if they derive wealth from it, it's really easy to like keep that thing. You don't want that to change. Like, for example, my my parents are very Midwestern. They're fairly wealthy. And so they don't like they're very Republican because of that. <laughs> they want things to stay in their favor. That's how that works. They're very, very white. They're very like they don't want things to change. It's the incentive structures we create. Exactly. For ourselves and that. The community. I mean, around. money's pretty chill, but when your money comes from like making sure that other people don't get the same benefits you do, or if you think that paying more taxes to support others through welfare or whatever uh, doesn't actually net you a benefit, where, when it clearly does societally, uh, that especially in like rural Minnesota, there's less society to benefit from. Like, yeah, I see why. I just think it's money's wrong. The big one, and I think it seems like it's starting to change. If if anything the conversation's happening more about like what are uh the incentive structures we create around having diverse and inclusive teams Mm -hmm. uh because in the past perhaps it was pretty hard to map this sounds so fucked up but like the value of having a diverse team in terms of business success Mm -hmm. but once teams start discovering that yeah that is actually valuable you're going to build better products from it then it starts to shift the incentive structure although i think I think that's a common argument that does come up is that, oh, diversity is economically valuable because you will create products that aren't just, you know, that don't just fit men at all. They also fit women. But that devalues people. Right. I think diversity isn't, it shouldn't, we shouldn't be championing diversity for the sake of economic value, but for the sake of diversity itself. We should just simply be recognizing that there is injustice of opportunity of the way we treat people. And as a result, it's almost oppressive to certain communities. And it's simply the wrong thing to be, the status quo is wrong, and therefore the ethically right thing is to improve it, uh, rather than, you know, justify it with economic value. Yeah, this got heavy. So what do you do when you're not working on Figma? When I'm not working on Figma, um, I watch a lot of YouTube trailers. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. I've probably Tell seen, me more. I've probably seen trailers of every movie that's come out in 2016. Holy shit! It's the why? way I procrastinate. Um, <laughs> Dude, you else? can go down some deep YouTube holes. <laughs> what movie are you most excited about? Do not mess this up. Did you watch all the Comic Con trailers this weekend? Yes. Um, I thought Wonder Woman was amazing. Yes, correct. Um, I also have poor memories, so I couldn't remember them all. <laughs> There's so many I've seen them all. Well, there was Legion, which looks awesome. <laughs> I haven't seen that yet. That's a new X-Men show coming out on Fox that I'm very excited mm-hmm. about. Doctor Strange had a new trailer. Mm-hmm. Benedict Cumberbatch. Yep. yep. There's Justice League looked like poop. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so YouTube trailers is one thing that I do. <laughs> anyway. So uh, generic YouTube trailer. I just watched so many, I can't remember any of them. Um, but I also uh, work on a couple of side projects. Uh-huh. Um one of them is an app that helps you keep track of your money. And I'm in the design phase for that. So we'll see if I ever get to build it. Um, I'm also working. I also help build and maintain an app for the computer science department. 
which at Brown at Brown, mm-hmm, which helps uh, teaching assistants hold hours, and it's basically an online queue where students can sign up and get checked off. Um, but it's just really fun, kind of taking a product from design to building it and maintaining it, and then getting feedback from professors and students, and like continuing to make it better. Um, just taking a product through its life cycle is really cool. Until about last year, I think Hackett Brown was probably like 20 hours of my life every week. Uh, but now I don't have that. So I'm thinking of going back to school and doing more humanities and maybe, you know, join a dance group. So we'll Whoa. see. Yeah. Why do you want to do that? I think it'll Instead push of me like out of doubling my... doubling down on... Yes. Yeah. I think it'll push me out of my comfort zone a bit. And I think you you can't really do that as much outside of school. Um, so I want to take advantage of it while I'm there. You can totally do that outside of school. It's just harder. It's harder, yeah. And it's the community is, you know, at school you're surrounded by a few thousand people of the same age with similar, you know, kind of life positions. It's a little softer. True. but And then you come to a city and, you know, there's people of all ages and all backgrounds and it's harder to find people like you. Yeah. Uh, I had someone ask me recently how to manage time doing side projects and having a full-time job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh <laughs> How would you answer that? Because you've got a lot going on. Yes, but at school, your only job is to learn. And I think side projects are a way to learn new things. Yeah, so everything I do, I often, often I like sneak it in as like a final project for a class or something, you know, and it's fun that way because you're excited about the project, but you also, you know, are doing stuff for class and it works out. Yeah. Uh, Also at Brown, you can do independent studies and like make your own courses um, and so I've done that a couple of times now. But what about now at Figma? Is that an issue as well? So working full time at Figma, but finding time? Yeah. Definitely is, um, especially because I think things are pretty quick at Figma these days. Uh, so I'm definitely, or like things are moving fast. So I'm definitely having to spend a lot more time on them. But you make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. On weekends or on weekdays in the evenings. Yeah. Just prioritizing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You move from designing a thing to building mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um, and I know that you want to go back and, and look into the humanities, but as far as design goes or engineering goes, mm-hmm. do you ever feel like you're going to have to make a choice between the two? Or will the, you know, if we look at all the companies that hire full-time one or the other, mm-hmm. is this a choice you feel like you'll have to make? I think so, yes. And if I'm being honest about the way I'm thinking about the fall, my hope is to work towards a return offer from Figma, but also spend October, uh, sorry, so spend September doing design interviews, spend October doing engineering interviews, and then November, spend time making a decision. Um, <laughs> so you don't know which one? I don't know. Does it matter to you? I think it does. Uh, one, because I think your first job out of university, I think matters a lot. Um, but also... You'd be surprised. That's fair. People have told me that, but I don't know. I think I feel like it's a lot of pressure um, on what you're doing right after school. My first one was unloading trucks at Lowe's, so... (laughs) And look how far he's come. (laughs) I feel like I haven't sucked from there. (laughs) There definitely is, yeah. Some level of dilemma, some level of just like not knowing what I really want to do. Well, how are you going to figure that out? I think right now I'm just going to interview for everything that I can. Um, and then have a wealth of options and then probably make a decision based on a number of factors like, oh, is do I like the team? Do I like the work? Do I like, am I going to get the right visa out of this? So we'll see. Uh, the visa thing. Yeah, that's interesting too because STEM students have three years to work in the US as long as you're working on a job that's related to your education. Um, after graduation. After graduation. 
Mm-hmm. So I need I do need to find a somewhat technical role, I think. And you can work for three three years as long as the company sponsors you. That's correct. Or three years is what's called OPT, which is optional practical training, which is essentially like free work time because you've studied in the U.S. Um, and after that is an H one B visa, which is the work visa, and for that you need a company sponsor. Got it. Just go straight for the O one, dude. Come on, you got this. <laughs> no. If John time. Gold can do it, <laughs> if John Gold can do it. Addy can do it. So fifty percent of about. 50% of the people that listen to the show mm-hmm. live outside of the US. Right. And obviously, you came from India. I'm curious mm-hmm. if you What? <laughs> oh, I'm curious if you had advice for anyone who's listening that let's call them a younger designer that mm-hmm. might have been in your shoes a few years ago. Right. Uh, perhaps just discovering American design. Yeah. Do you have advice for for those people? I think uh, one of the beautiful things about technology and design is that the community is inherently online especially in design you can definitely find you know whether it's like designer news or like dribble or twitter or different groups and slack channels and so on there is a community that you can tap into and also around technology i think communities form around frameworks and languages and tools and those are pretty like nationality agnostic two of the communities i really enjoy being part of is like the css community and the meteor.js community and I think people are just so excited and so nice and so humble around that. Um, and a lot of the people I look up to in those communities are from different countries. Despite so, all of us hating CSS. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like I really love CSS. <laughs> I, don't hate CSS. I think I think everyone loves making fun of CSS a little True. bit. <laughs> everyone loves to hate CSS, but at the end of the day, it's our rent little brother that will yep. take care. <laughs> um, so yes, so I would say find community online. Try your best. It's hard. Um, but, also, team. <laughs> but also continue making things and you know find projects that are close to you both you know from your interest but also close to the communities that you live in because that way you can ship them and kind of have impact locally I don't know if that's like good advice I'm too young to be saying this stuff don't worry about it you've been through it you've lived it so anything you say is, is you're relevant. speaking to your experience no one can ever say you're not doing that yeah <laughs> And by the way, I wouldn't call it American design. I would call it Western design. Addy called it American design. I know, but I would call it, <laughs> I would call it Western design. Like Europe and Canada have very similar designs. Like right. Mm-hmm. So, would you say Western design? I think so. Okay. Yeah. I think now it's you know, since the conversation's gone, I think definitely. I think the way I call it American design is the way I perceived it when I was younger. Right. Um. But today, I think it's like you know, product design from the West. On a different, you know, flavor of products. Yeah. Do you feel like you have become a quote unquote Western product designer? <laughs> have you adopted that style or or is there some part of you that is resistant to that? He's California, dude. He's the most West. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think yes. I think all my design style has come from the people that I've been around and the communities that I've found in America. Um because while I grew up in India, I don't think I like became a designer in India. Ah. And I don't think I became an engineer in India. And that happened here. So, yeah. So you're a Western designer. Mm-hmm. And do you want to go back to India? Or are you happy in America? Um, I think for the short term, I'll be in America. <laughs> like, we'll see what happens in November. <laughs> but I think at some point, yes, I do intend to go back and hopefully do something of my own. My roommate actually is in India right now. He's a Y Combinator fellow building a startup and he had an offer here he had an internship lined up from a company in the bay area but he dropped that went home 
and is working on a startup to help doctors communicate better with patients in India. And I think that's just like so fascinating. I'm so happy for him that he's like doing it and he's like following his passion. That's that, awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. And that'll be you? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Cool. Uh, finally, what keeps you up at night? It's a hard question. You've got a lot of people staying at your house right now, so there's a lot of answers. <laughs> um, on a good day, I think exciting ideas um, or just thinking about new possibilities. It's like, what if this happened? Or what's going to happen? Are you ever overwhelmed by that? Or I guess I, I mean more from like a global perspective. It's like, ooh, what what would happen if like this, you know, technology came to real life or like this political change happened in India? Um, so when I'm thinking third party, I don't think I'm overwhelmed. But on other days, I do think about my own future. And there are days when I'm like just freaking out. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh-huh. I, and I message friends and I'm like, I'm so scared about interviews. I've, I don't know what's going to happen next year. And I'm going to be so lonely at school because all my friends have graduated. But then there are other days where I'm like, I've done this before. I can figure this out. I'm more lucky and more privileged than most people I know. And I've had opportunities in the past. And so I can make it work. Yeah. I love it. Sweet. Um, we're over an hour. Cool. Where can people find you online? Um, I'm on Twitter. I don't tweet that much. Uh, Which you're going to work on. Yep. Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> so that's probably the best place. Okay. Yeah. I can. My username is long, so we'll probably leave that. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Link in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Awesome. At Tom Ari. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Look at this guy. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for hanging out, man. Thanks for coming Thanks on. Thanks for having me. It was super fun. Yep. That was episode 155. Thank you to Addy for coming and hanging out with us. Ah, so fun. He's super smart and he has no idea. It's great. We want to continue having a diverse range of experiences and opinions on the show. Uh, ages, of course. We really enjoyed talking to him, but we'd love to know what you think. Let us know. We're on Twitter at Design Details FM or hit us up in our Slack team. We're at spec.fm slash Slack. Uh, you can just join us right away. There's over 5,000 people in our Slack team hanging out. You should come join us. We'll see you next week with Alexander Bond.